0: Welcome back to Area 51 and a Half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. I'm your host, John Allen, also known as Spooky Uncle John. With me are my millennial falcons, Snyderman Man 501 Nick Snyder, and our techno mage, Ren, aka Pirate Lily. And we'd want to remind everybody that Area 51 and a Half is a safe place for you to be. Whether you're alien or galien, we have a space for you on our landing pad. Uh, Nick, Ren, it's going to be a tough show. Two reasons. One, no secret, I had a tooth extracted last week. Now, people might be saying, but Spooky Uncle John, that's no big deal. When you're an actor, it changes your speech pattern. Not so noticeable to some people, but some people might notice it. But I'm still healing. And being diabetic, I don't heal as fast as others. If anything is going to happen it's going to happen to me. Now, this is not uncommon when you have a larger tooth extracted, particularly a molar. It can perforate your sinus, which sounds awful, but it's not. It's just the way your skull is set up and whatever, right? So every now and then, I get a little wheeze that's going on in the socket hole and it goes up into the sinus cavity and into the nasal cavity. And I may need Kleenex from time to time at this point. The other reason that this is going to be a tough show is, Ren, look at our co-host and producer here, Snyderman501. Oh, poor muffin. The word I would use to describe Nick, yes, children, the word of the day is lethargic. Can we say that all together? lethargic Lethargic. nick is looking lethargic today
1: thanks guys uh so i think i've mentioned before i have started a new job absolutely adore it it is great but i'm in training and there is it's just so much information coming at me and yeah i am i am a little lethargic this weekend but you are liking the job oh i love it it's great it's so the, the the workplace is so wonderful and inclusive it's Absolutely wonderful.
0: And you know, it's funny, when I mentioned about Nick being lethargic, I can just hear aliens out there going, did Spooky Uncle John just throw Nick under the bus? Oh, yeah, he did. There he goes. Oh, no. He's heading downtown.
1: That (laughs) bumping noise, that was the sound of the bus running over me. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway.
0: (laughs) Sound of the bus running over you. You are a speed bump on the road of life. I kind
1: of feel like it right now.
0: Uh, You know, I do too. I I feel a little bit like a speed bump on the road of life because um, it's not intolerable, but you sit there and you go, you know, I'm in just a smidgen of pain. Just a smidgen of pain. I mean, nothing that an aspirin or a Tylenol wouldn't take care of, but noticeable. And, you know, the one thing that I I am not enjoying right now until this heals is the drool factor. I feel like a bloody St. Bernard at this point. Oh, we can go start calling you Cujo now. You know Spooky what? Spooky Uncle Cujo. <laughs> Spooky Uncle Cujo. No, that's, that, that doesn't have a nice ring to it. That really does not. Uh, with that, before Nick falls asleep, let's move into your pop culture roundup.
1: All right. After the success of Cocaine Bear, we are now looking at a whole new subgenre of horror comedy. And I am going to coin the phrase, foo-foo-fauna. Now, foo-foo is a slang <laughs> term for cocaine. Anyway, uh, we have re- uh, releasing in the future, in the near future, even, Cocaine Shark, Meth Gator, and Cracoon.
0: Ha <laughs> ha! Yes! I love the titles. I love the titles. But tell me, are these actual
1: theater releases? Oh, God, no. No, these that are. That is a
0: shame. That is a shame. I know you didn't like Cocaine Bear all that much. I still say you watched it wrong. I still say you were not in the mood for it. Because these movies need to be in theater with big stars. And they need to be as cheesy as
1: possible. Listen, the only way I would agree with you on that is if Nick Cage was in Cracoon. And he was playing the raccoon, dude.
0: I'm I, listen, listen. I, l- let's go down the list here. Let's sh- cocaine shark. I want Clooney like battling <laughs> battling that cocaine shark. I want I want Pitt going against the meth gator. D- you know what? Tag team him with Cruz, Pitt and Cruz, meth gator. You know, Nicholas Cage, crack coon. Like, come on. You are th- this is cinematic gold here. I'm not going to invent this stupid genre. For the 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 idea that it's just going to be people with like home movies because I saw I saw the trailer for Cocaine Shark. It's basically a home movie. It's like like things, and I I want to slap Joe Bob in the mouth like repeatedly for introducing me to things. Okay, what uh, is
2: things? Oh no, Nick,
1: explain what things is. Things is a. It's a quote-unquote horror film made by a couple Canadian guys with some spare time on a weekend and a VHS camera. It was not good. Basically,
0: they got wasted on a Scarborough Saturday night and had nothing better to do because it was winter. They took their VHS camera, the old camcorder,
1: and made a home movie. I mean, to be fair, there's not much better to do in Scarborough on a Saturday night anyway, so...
0: (laughs) Well, that, that back then, probably not. Uh, but at least, at least, <laughs> Mike Myers had the decency to give us Wayne's World based on his life in Scarborough.
1: Fair.
2: Question, though. In the rating, does, is it better or worse than Sharkula?
1: Worse. I'm not answering. I can't answer that because <laughs> it's it, they're, they're both awful, but it's two different kinds of awful.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well, here here here's the difference. Sharkula was made on purpose. They knew it was awful.
1: Fair. Okay. Things, All right. This yeah, was thanks. made
0: because, you know, they they had they had a case of 24, probably Molson Golden and a
1: pile of weed probably. <laughs> yeah, and a pizza and the pizza was finished. All right. Moving <laughs> on. John, some sad news from the wrestling world. Um, The Iron Sheik passed away at the age of 81 this past week. I am so sad about that.
0: Yeah, that hurts me. That gets me in the feels because that's my era of wrestling when Vince McMahon bought up all the factions and created the WWE. I mean, listen, the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov were great heels, especially when they were going against somebody like Sgt. Slaughter or... Hulk Hogan, who was, like, supposed to be the American hero. Yeah. I actually met Nikolai Volkov at one, one of the Comic-Cons, and I said to him, I, I apologize for booing you all the time, and he says, no, that, that's fine. It was good that you did that because it was it's fun playing the heel.
1: <laughs> um, out of all the things, though, that I'm going to miss about the Iron Sheik, it's his Twitter account. <laughs> his Twitter account is wild. It is so vile. It's so vulgar. Um, and he makes it very apparent that he hates Hulk Hogan, but it's just—I know—it's just, I know, it, because, it's just it's, he just yell. He's it's like it's just—it's all in capital letters, so he's just yelling, and it's swear words and cuss words, and I know it's so, like so a, ridiculous. That
0: one that you were mentioning about Happy Thanksgiving to everybody except the Hogan, yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh my god, it's so it's so funny. I'm gonna miss him, and I, I really wish I could have seen him at a con. But
0: well, yeah, like, you, you know, like honest to god, like when you look at it, it's like I know that wrestling, for lack of a better term, is entertainment. Yeah. Right? The the outcome is predetermined. That's not a secret. But some of those finishing moves look vicious, and honestly, his camel clutch, like I can feel my lower back. Just
1: I know snapping I know. into
0: just discs bulging like that does not look comfortable at I l-
1: all. I always love this threat for the the camel cl- the camel clutch. I make you humble. I break her back. Like it's just it's just such a, a harrowing thing to say and, to somebody. Yeah,
0: and, you know this this for lack of a better term this rivalry between him and Hulk Hogan, which. uh was in the squared circle, but also seems to have spilled over into reality.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Didn't it start, didn't Hogan actually win the championship yeah, from the Iron yeah. Sheik? Yeah, he did, yeah.
1: So Iron Madison Sheik. Madison
0: Square Gardens. I at think.
1: Madison Square Gardens, Hogan won the championship from Iron Sheik, and then Hulkamania set off like a blazing fire. It was amazing. You
0: know, so like, I, I will applaud uh, the Iron Sheik for that, because mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is, like, by him relinquishing that title, that gave birth to Hulkmania, and let me tell you, in the 80s, Hulkamania was huge. Yep. I mean, wrestling has never been bigger than in the 80s and 90s, and perhaps the early 2000s, and then it kind of starts to wane off. From what I mean is, like, you have your hardcore wrestling fans like yourself, mm-hmm. but there's also like the bigger picture, the pop culture zeitgeist, where my mother knew who Stone Cold Steve Austin yeah, You know, she, she referenced Jake the Snake Roberts just the other day. 84-year-old woman who never watched wrestling in her life, knew who these people
1: were. Yeah. Um, so, talking about wrestlers, we're going to move into this bit of news. We got our first look at Sweet Tooth from the new show based on the Twisted Metal video game. And it's weird. Um, he, in the clip, he fights Anthony Mackie and they... Uh, well, Anthony Mackie's John Doe character... And then they wind up singing along to Cisco's uh, thong song in the middle of a fight. And it's just really weird. I don't know what to, put, I don't know what to make of it.
0: Is, is this different than, like, Netflix has a Netflix movie or show, I haven't checked it out yet, called Sweet Tooth. Is this different from that? Is this
1: that... is based on the Twisted Metal video game. Okay. So, uh, the show also stars Stephanie Beatriz, it's got Thomas Hayden Church... Will, Arn- Will Arnett um is voicing Sweet Tooth and then uh doing Proust duty on Sweet Tooth is one of my favorite wrestlers Samosaf Joseph himself Samoa Joe. And so he cu- Sweet Tooth cuts a, an imposing figure cuz it's Samoa Joe, but it's uh it looks weird. Um we also got some news for the Swifties. Taylor Swift is releasing Speak Now Taylor's version with collaborations from Fall Out Boy and Haley Williams from Paramore, which is beyond exciting.
2: I'm so excited for that. I grew up on Fall Out Boy, and Paramore is amazing. And just the fact that they're all working together on the album is, I don't know, it means a lot to Taylor, but it's just going to be super exciting.
0: You know, in that vein, too, Dolly Parton actually did a, She did a collaboration. Because remember we talked about her um, refusing the... yeah the award for going into the rock and roll hall of fame and rock and roll hall of fame said no no dolly parton you're gonna get this award whether you like it or not she said well then i'm gonna earn it she's released a rock album has she yeah yeah you can pre-order it now you can pre-order it on vinyl or uh cd or whatever but i'm just like i want to make sure it's the legit dolly parton store because i want it i want
1: it yeah yeah um going back to the world of horror Kind of, I guess. Uh, A reboot of one of the all-time horror great franchises is heading our way. John? Leprechaun. I saw that this morning. Yeah, Leprechaun. Okay, so not one of the greatest horror franchises, but still. Um, (laughs) A lengthy one. But you know what?
0: It it hung in there and direct-to-DVD release.
1: Yeah, it really did. Uh, They were cheap to make, and they got their money back. So, anyway. um, It's going to be directed by Fleepy Vargas, who... It's going to be directed by Felipe Vargas. Um, he's the director of the award-winning short film Milk Teeth. And it's also going to be written by Mike Van Wace, who is working on the live-action Lilo and Stitch movie, which is a real pivot from Lilo and Stitch to Leprechaun. Oh,
0: Mike. Well, I don't know
1: about that. No, the, way I'm, Stitch, mm.
0: the way Stitch acts. Uh, I'm not familiar with Milk Teeth.
1: I'm um, not either, to be honest We with seem you. to
0: have a tooth uh,
1: theme going here. Sweet tooth, milk teeth, my, teeth, my, 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 my lack of teeth. <laughs> Aliens, if you have any pop culture news, uh, feel free to reach out to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Area 51 and a half You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the Area 51H. And, of course, look for us on YouTube as well.
0: All right. So, Nick, I uh, was thinking back to... Uh, few Episodes ago, when you had mentioned Grimkite, yes, you know, so I, I checked that out. You're right, kind of a decent horror film. I it's an interesting villain, it's mm-hmm. an interesting uh take. Not a particularly well done movie, but I liked it. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because I also saw this past weekend The Boogeyman, which we had done a trailer trash video for, mm-hmm. and which we um I was excited to see especially since it's based on a Stephen King short story. Right. I'm going to have a really hard time talking about this movie. Why is that? Because as a horror movie it's a good horror movie. It's fantastic. It's scary. The creature creature's kind of creepy. Uh, CGI'd of course. Sometimes a mistake.
1: Um, Most of the time, mistake. But anyway,
0: but it it's so well done and atmospheric. But as far as it being an adaptation of the story, when they say it's based on Stephen King's story and they put Stephen King's name up there, I want to kick them in the <clears throat> because this has nothing at all to do with the story that Stephen King wrote. I hate that. Uh, no, I, I don't need to issue in a spoiler alert on this because I'm not getting into the meat of it. But the thing of it is, it's like there is two minutes of the film that are lifted from the book. Two whole minutes. And you have the audacity to say that it's a Stephen King uh, story. its It's not. It doesn't resemble the Stephen King story at all. And I was going to forgive that if the ending... Was the same. And they start setting it up for the ending to be the same as it was in the story. And it was not at all. None? No, they, they completely wimped out on it. And I'm just like, uh, okay. So the first couple minutes before you see like the, the title, scroll, The Boogeyman, is really terrifying. Really? Yeah. Like, you get two whole minutes that it just... I'm not going to tell you why, but it just reaches in and it's a guttural pull and it's guttural punch. And then it kind of reverts into the problem is that they're always making these horror movies for a teen audience. And now all of a sudden our protagonist is a teen girl, um, not quite a Mary Sue, but, you know, and to me, that doesn't work. And it's hard for me to marry all that. Because it's still a good horror movie. Yeah. You know, and it's so hard to talk about because the the Stephen King story, if you had put that to film, you would have had one of the most frightening horror movies ever made. Instead,
1: you have a good horror movie. And and there's kind of the thing when you think about it is having, having a frightening, because again, Hollywood is a business. Having the most frightening horror movie ever made is not necessarily what they want. They no. want it to be accessible to everybody so that everybody will put their butt in a seat and watch the movie. Yeah. And that is unfortunate sometimes. Yeah, but
0: they, they took a target audience, but that shouldn't have been their target audience. Because I spoke to three um, young people, teenagers that had gone to see the movie, and I just asked them, I said, did you like the movie? And they're like, oh my God, yes, it was fantastic. I said, oh, well, if you liked that, you should read the Stephen King story. I said, it's found in the... A, a compilation of his short stories called Night Shift, and the look of confusion on their face <laughs> uh, both warmed my heart with a "Oh, I get to introduce you to something new," but also went, "Okay, kids, there's these things called books. <laughs> you can pick them up and actually read them." Uh, and the the one girl she said to go, "I think my dad has that," <laughs> and I'm like. Please give it a read because if you thought
2: that was scary and you thought that was frightening and creepy,
0: the actual short story
2: is a hundred times more. So one of the reasons why I have not watched a lot of horror movies was because watching them at night wakes me out to the point where like I can't step off my bed because I'm scared something's going to grab it. Yeah. Is this one of those movies that like I'm literally going to be screaming and hiding behind a pillow with? A
0: hundred percent. Yes.
1: Oh. So, we're going to go see that in theater next week. No. Um,
2: well,
0: no, the, 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 because, like, but again, if you read the story, you get more of that. The problem with, with a movie adaptation like this is that, to Nick's point, they, they kind of wimped out because they're going, we want the largest market audience we possibly can. Uh, apparently, that's going to be teenagers. No, dudes, I'm sorry. It's your Gen X audience that wants to see all these Stephen King mo- movies. Done the way they're supposed to be. Like I said, shame on you for even marketing this because the story isn't at all resembling that.
1: I could do a deep dive on Hollywood, the way Hollywood markets yeah. horror, and maybe we will in the future.
0: But you know what? Like, let me, let me just say this um, about about this whole thing because I did like it. it. It is a good, solid horror movie. I'm not saying it's not. It's just not a Stephen King horror movie. It doesn't feel like a Stephen King horror movie, except for those two minutes Mm -hmm. that they lifted from the novel, or the um, short story, I mean. This is what I'm encouraged by. They just did this whole movie that they claim was based on the boogeyman by Stephen King, and they did it in such a way that it doesn't resemble it at all that somebody else could actually go back and make the boogeyman properly. Yeah, okay, cool. Well, Aliens, like there's a lot of properties that drop Boogeyman, uh, Spider Man, which yep. we haven't had a chance to see yet. But, Nick, you saw Transformers Rise of the Beasts.
1: We did, and, or I did, and, oh, Ren and I did. But before we talk about it, I want to issue a beast sized spoiler alert. Spoiler, spoiler alert. alert! Spoiler, spoiler alert. alert!
0: Spoiler, spoiler alert! alert. And I don't blame you on that. I mean, I wasn't going to talk about the in-depth meat of the Boogeyman because it was more I didn't know how I was going to talk about it because of what had happened. But Transformers, this is your jam. You love
1: Transformers. Transformers is one of It is my thing. It is my thing. I love Transformers probably much or more than I love wrestling. And this movie, before I get into it, this is one of the better Transformer movies I've seen. That is still a grotesquely low bar. Um, I really enjoyed this one. The voice acting, for honestly, anytime that they actually treat the, the Transformers like actual characters, they give them actual personalities, especially the villains. It's a good Transformers film. Peter Dinklage's Scourge, the villain, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, no Megatron in this one. Um, we had Unicron, the giant planet eating transforming planet in it absolutely fantastic to see that um peter cullen uh, is back as optimus prime and they did he's angry in this one he is so angry at the beginning of this because um he blames himself he blames himself for the autobots being stuck on earth Um, and he goes through a really great character arc where he learns to trust the humans and kind of accept they're on earth for the time being Um, great voice work from Michelle Yeoh, great voice work from Ron Perlman, really good voice work from Pete Davidson as Mirage. I really, really enjoyed him in this. And, um, Bumblebee was not kind of the main Transformer in this one. Bumblebee kind of gets taken out close to the start, comes back at the end, but it's, it was interesting not having him as the main, uh, protagonist Transformer in this film. Um a lot of really great set pieces. Everything in Peru looked absolutely fantastic. I really, really love it. was It was nice to go to the jungle because we haven't really seen that in one of these movies before. Um, but what I want to talk about is because it's Rise of the Beasts, there's a lot, there's a lot taken from Beast Wars in this. One of the really neat little things at the start of it was this is the first time I believe we have seen. The character Ape Link on screen in North America, uh, who gets killed really, really, really quickly. But anyway, um, Beast Wars. I'm just going to do a quick, uh, as quick a ca- as I can, history on Beast Wars. Um, Beast Wars was a series of toys and a cartoon that came out in the mid '90s that kind of replaced the Transformers series altogether. Which is why I'm not at all familiar with it. Exactly. Exactly. So basically. In the early 90s, Hasbro, uh, Transformers was was hemorrhaging money at this point. They were not making money off the off the product anymore, and Hasbro was kind of settled with the choice. Either they scrapped the line altogether, or they pivot. So they chose to pivot.
0: You know what's really interesting is, um, because Transformers came out in the 80s, um, I don't really remember any of my ilk being all that into the transformers, so I don't know that initially it had the same je ne sais quoi that it eventually built
1: transformers. And I'll say this as a kid that was born in the eighties: it was we were all about it. We right. were all about it. Every kid I knew had actually every kid I knew except for me had Skytread. But anyway, everybody, every and kid that's I back knew back in Scotland, yeah, yeah. everybody had transformers and even when i came to canada everybody had transformers i i didn't know a single kid that didn't yeah um but very as we got older we kind of a lot of other kids kind of grew away from transformers i was st- my, my parents were still buying the generation two products for me so whatever um but again hasbro was losing money on transformers so the choice was made to pivot so they decided to go from cars and trucks and airplanes to animals. And it's it's kind of interesting because this is this is happening at the same time everybody's starting to get access to the internet. So there were transformers message boards and we we kind of saw a proto version of some of the stuff that we see from some of the more unhappy fans nowadays where There was uh, a lot of older fans out there who were really angry over the fact they were changing from vehicles to animals to the point where the the term started getting bandied about online. Truck, not monkey. Um, (laughs) So that was an ongoing thing. But um, regardless of all that, the series, the Beast Wars series was hugely successful. Hugely successful. It was the right move for Hasbro to make. Um, it went from it went from hemorrhaging money to being one of the top five toy lines for the next several years. So absolutely the right thing to do. Now, when they did make the change, it was a direct continuation of the original Transformer story. So Optimus Primal actually was Optimus Prime. Beast Wars Megatron was G1 Megatron. But when they made the the cartoon material, um for this show, there was a couple problems. They couldn't um mainframe productions, who also did reboot, they didn't have access to all the characters. There was licensing fees and stuff like that that they still had to pay Hasbro for, even though Hasbro was paying them for this show. I don't understand any of that. But anyway, they could only get rights to certain characters. So because of that, they decided to take the story and have it take place in Cybertron's distant future, where the Maximals and the Predacons are the de- are the descendants of the Autobots and the and the Decepticons, and John is chuckling at this.
0: Uh, <laughs> the reason I'm chuckling at this because I understand virtually none of that. <laughs> it's 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 a lot. I mean, the, it, it it is. There's a huge history to somebody like a fan like for well, you. Is is just one of those things that you enjoy the deep dive. You throw all those at me, and I was like, I thought I, it was a cartoon. I know Optimus Prime and Megatron, and,
1: and Megan Fox was in the first movie. <laughs> so, and, and this is the thing because it was I, I, my initial thing was to do a full history of Transformers. That's a multi episode series. I can't do that in one episode. And even boiling it down just to Beast Wars, there's a lot I'm cutting out of this. Do me
0: a favor if I ever get, like, in our first season, you had COVID. I couldn't be in the booth. I hurt my back. I couldn't be in the booth. So you did like a couple little solo shows. If I'm ever injured or sick or die, go ahead. But I don't want to be a part of any of that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it just the thing. It's not a criticism. You know, I love you. We've been friends for like uh, twenty some it's odd years. Up here. It, it's just you. You just every minutia is is I, is is a is, is like
1: the sweetest steak to you. It's like perfectly I, done. I love this stuff, and and again, I'm cutting a lot of the history out here. Um, so like <laughs> one of the other things is Beast Wars isn't it's not just so it wasn't like the Generation One cartoon where they went, oh yeah, this is a half hour advertisement for, Our toys. for toys. Yeah, mainframe entertainment went ahead and they made the decision to try and make this not just a a kid's cartoon show, a good television show. Some of the episodes, specifically Code of Honor, where the character Dinobot sacrifices himself to save the proto-human race, is easily one of the better episodes of a television series I've ever seen. And this show went on to win an Emmy as well. A technical Emmy, of course, but still an Emmy. But
0: I have to say that the uh, cartoons of the 90s are really cutting-edge stuff. They're really interesting because, uh, first of all, a lot of the cartoon style got up. But also they were introducing um, computer-generated animation. Yeah. You know, and in its
1: infancy. So some of it doesn't look great. Well, here's the thing on that with Beast Wars. Uh, By the way, Aliens... In Canada, Beast Wars was called Beasties because they couldn't mention war in the name on on Canadian television. So there we go. Um, do, do we know why? Um I I think it came down to some kind of thing with YTV. Um because even I, I feel more like the CRTC got its dirty little
0: hands in on there. I
1: don't know if it was a CRTC or if it was a, if it was directly from YTV. But they also did the same thing with another show based on a t- uh, on toys called Sh- uh, the in in the U.S. It was called War Planets. The toy line was called War Planets, but in Canada it was called Shadow Raiders.
0: Didn't they also do some different things back in Scotland too? Like there was you were mentioning. I can't remember what it is off um, the top of my head.
1: Uh, it was Fraggle Rock, where they had uh, different old guys in the like No, this had to do with the. Oh Ninja Turtles, Teenage yeah. Mutant Hero Turtles. Okay. Yeah, that was because the um so the 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 censors over there are really against violence and ninja um perpetuated in their opinion violence. So, like they even took out uh they even edited out Michelangelo's nunchucks because Whereas, nunchucks were yeah, illegal then.
0: And was that also in was that still the era of the video nasties? Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um so as as I said, the TV show's story differs wildly from the one given by the um, given by the toy line, and it becomes this thing where they are actually in prehistoric Earth. They're up and moving while the original Optimus Prime and the Autobots and the Decepticons are all unconscious under Mount St. Helens. It's really really cool stuff. <laughs> Mount St. Saint- I think is Mount St. Helens. <laughs> um, in Washington State. Yeah. Uh, and
0: crackadoo the, the the sound effects in the comics.
1: <laughs> so the, the show also had some great voice talent as well. I mean, the movie has great voice talent, but the show had some great voice talent from around the world. You had uh, me. Um, you got uh, Venus Turzo, You got Jim Burns. Blue Man Kuma, which is a name I love. He played Tigertron, and he has such a great smooth voice. And of course, Gary Chalk and David Kay as Optimus Primal and Megatron, respectively. Um, Chalk and Kay would go on to voice Optimus and Megatron in several other Transformers series leading up to the first live-action movie, uh, where voice duties would be taken over by, again, Peter Cullen, and of course, uh, uh, Hugo Weaving as Megatron. So yeah, I, I loved going back to the movie. I really enjoyed it. There were some... One of the things I loved when they do it in these movies, is when they use lore from the original series. So they talk about a transwarp key in this movie. Transwarp is how the Maximals and the Predacons wound up on prehistoric Earth. Um, And they had kind of a callback to the Power Masters, and it it was a really fun movie. Like, really fun movie. Really enjoyed it. And I was really sad when they killed Air Razor as well. But anyway. <laughs> but yeah, Michelle Yeoh was great as Air Razor. I really, really enjoyed her. I would, oh I would my lo-
0: gosh. I just thought that, you know, a bunch of cars and trucks turned into robots and everybody had fun. But apparently, no. It, no. What about Dinobots?
1: Dinobots have been in the movies. I didn't like their portrayal because they were what? giant mute things. When but, were the Dinobots in the movies? I stopped
0: it, after three, I think.
1: Ah, uh, Four. Okay. Age of Extinction and The Last Night they were in, um, which are not... I didn't even know there was an Age of Extinction movie. They're not, this they're is not
0: how be. much I've checked out of it.
1: Age of Extinction, honestly, the best thing about... It, actually, the best thing about Age of Extinction and The Last Night is Stanley Tucci.
0: Now, I've, I've heard that Bumblebee is actually a pretty good movie.
1: Bumblebee's fantastic. I, Bumblebee's... Okay, yes, Bumblebee is a good movie, but the thing you need to keep in mind is that Bumblebee is essentially a remake of E.T.
0: Spoiler alert! I haven't
1: seen it. <laughs> oh, sorry. You should probably see that.
0: <laughs> yeah, probably. I, I, like I said, I, I kind of checked out after the B- third one. I think. Bumblebee was, was ex- that uh, follow the moon or, moon of um, Earth, or? Dark Darker the moon. Darker the moon. Someone's mooning somebody anyway.
1: But Bumblebee was ex- an exceptionally charming film. I really liked it, and honestly, it is the best of the Transformers films so far.
0: Really, that's oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe we'll sit down and we'll watch that when we have some free time. Which whenever that happens. Which is these days not in uh, not in not on our calendar. We're gonna have to maybe schedule it even. Uh, okay, so you know it's interesting that you mentioned Hugo Weaving. Yeah. Because Hugo Weaving uh, is actually not Hugo Weaving himself, but a character that Hugo Weaving has played. Leads us into our main topic. As we all know, it is uh, June is when um, the gay community kind of comes together and says, hi, we're here. And, uh, you know, it's all about gay pride and their visibility and so forth. So we thought it would be kind of fun in June because we're we're not going to do this at our next one because that's when we're live from Forest City Comic Con uh, that we would talk about drag performances. <laughs> so there's all kinds of iconic movies that, have drag at kind of their center. So let me just start it off by saying, or asking, rather, who's your favorite drag performance in a movie or television show?
2: I love Nathan Lane in The Birdcage. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? That was going to be my Nathan Lane trifecta.
0: I've done two other Nathan Lane roles. Just before the pandemic, I was cast as the Nathan Lane role in a stage production of The Birdcage, which never happened because the...
2: No, you pandemic.
0: I know, I know, I know. And the damn-demic, as I like to call it, um, which would have been great. The uh, fellow that's playing the Robin Williams role, he said that uh, he had sort of reached out to me and he said, you know, when this is all over, I said, um, you know, because he knew my dad had passed away and all that kind of stuff. He says, I'm not doing it unless you are doing that role. <laughs> you know, So that was I, I thought that was kind of nice. But, uh, yeah, I got robbed of my Nathan Lane trifecta.
1: Nick, what about you? Uh, for me, it's Frankenfurter. Yeah, 100%. Tim Curry, I, I, right? I, I, first and foremost, I love Tim Curry. I would watch Tim G- Curry recite the ingredients to butter over and over again. He is one of the <laughs> best performers of any generation. Rocky Horror is fantastic. Rocky Horror is fantastic. And yeah, I, I think he's. Uh, Frankenfurter is so iconic. And everything, every line, every song is delicious. So yeah,
0: and done so well by him. I know they did a slash uh, remake of it. Fox did it as a Halloween special. They starred in Vern Cox uh, as Frank Um The and what was great about it though is that Tim Curry plays the criminologist. Yeah, which I thought was great because you get that nice connection between the two movies and. Uh, Why am I blanking on the singer's name? Ivy Levin. Ivy Levin. I don't know why I blanked on her name because I love her stuff. Uh, She plays the usherette, which you didn't see in the original uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show because it's a stage play, a musical, obviously, and it starts off with an usherette coming out and singing science fiction double feature, you know, like they had in in the old uh, days of cinema you know, selling cigarettes and candy and all kinds of stuff. So it was great to actually see the usherette portrayed, and it was great to see Tim Curry back. For me, I, bar none, like, there have been a lot of great actors doing performances in drag in movies. We'll get to some of those a little bit later. But for me, John Leguizamo as Chi-Chi in Too Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. When that movie came out, I mean, yeah, you knew who Patrick Swayze was. Wesley Snipes was huge, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody really knew John Leguizamo yet. He was kind of on he was the up, rise. Yeah, he was on he the, was rise, on the yeah. rise. So when you watch Chuan Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, yeah, you see Patrick Swayze, you see Wesley Snipes. You don't see a trace of John Leguizamo
1: as Chi Chi. You would swear that it's female. You'd swear. John Leguizamo, first and foremost, I love John Leguizamo. I think he's amazing. But he did a one-man show that was on HBO back in the late 90s. And when you watch Chu Hong Fu, and then you watch this, he talks about an older woman that he dated. And you can kind of see where you got the inspiration for (laughs) teaching. Okay,
0: a little TMI there. But, Ren, why don't you give us a brief history
2: of drag? All right, so drag. The typical definition is it's a fashion including accessories, flamboyant makeup, over-the-top wigs. It's an art style now. People use it to rebel against fixed gender roles, play with sexuality. The performances normally include dancing, singing, or lip-syncing, pantomime, and it's used to be gay men that did a lot of drag, but now it's Cis men, cis women, trans, non-binary, um, all that umbrella that have been starting to do drag because it is more of an art style.
0: It, it definitely is an art form. It goes back a long ways. Yeah. It goes back uh, to Shakespeare perhaps before because I think I had mentioned on one of our other podcasts what drag actually stands for, is dress as girl.
2: There's some debate about that because now there's also people uh, from what I've been looking up. They believe that drag came from just the fact that the petticoats would drag on the ground and the men weren't used to it.
0: So, <laughs> that seems really unlikely, but
2: well, that's why apparently, because it was done in Greek and Roman theaters, uh, kabuki theaters in the 17th century. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Peking opera in the 18th century in China. It's been around a long time. Yeah, Shakespeare used, uh, use men as female roles because the women weren't always allowed on stage. No, they weren't allowed, period. And in fact, in The Twelfth Night, it's a major plot device where Viola dresses up yeah. as uh, her brother, I believe.
0: Well, and it's really interesting, too, because you also see the idea with in the Shakespearean productions like The Merchant of Venice, where, first of all, in the Globe Theater back in Shakespearean times, you would have your feminine ingenue boy playing Portia, you know, all dressed up as a girl, and then Portia later on dresses up as a male lawyer to <laughs> you know, so, so there's you have a drag queen now playing a drag king, and it's yeah,
2: it's 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 fascinating. Uh it kind of went on into vaudeville between the 1800s and 1930s, when that's when drag kind of split into like two different categories. We had the wretch players which are female impersonators, but they did, like, the comedic stuff. And then the prima donnas, which were more of the elegant makeup. They tried to do thin waist. They drew the inspiration from the Shakespearean plays. And they did the over-the-top, or actually, sorry, the more accurate female representations. Yeah, and you
0: see that a lot, too, when you watch something like RuPaul's Drag Race, where, you know, you've got your comedy queens, you've got your uh, pageant queens, you've got, um, you know, here your Instagram queens now, you know, like it's that's all, a thing? It's a thing. Well, yeah, really? because the younger generation, they they're not interested in being funny. They're not interested in in um, you know, they're interested in their own things. So they they dress up in drag, they put it on Instagram, they get a following. It's like, hello, you know, and the problem is that the older drag queens look at them and they go, Yeah. And it's almost becomes like the line into Wang Fu Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. It's like, why is that little Latin boy in drag crying? <laughs> you know, because they just is like, "Oh, you think you know drag? I've been doing this for thirty years." And then you get the young ones like, "Okay,
2: grandma, whatever." <laughs> you
0: know, and so it's it's kind of uh, an interesting dynamic between the generations now.
2: And of course, there's always the drag balls, which is also a big start of uh drag. They were, a lot of the drag balls were credited to black and Latino performers who were not allowed to go into the drag pageants. So they started doing things in the Harlem Renaissance in New York City. Yeah. They had their own balls. They were all under, or a lot of them were underground at that point because of just laws we have, that were coming around. There's uh, a huge, iconic
0: um, documentary called Paris is Burning, all about that culture. The, yeah, The balls and everything in New York. And I think it's from the 80s.
2: Yeah. I have seen it. It's it's interesting. So drag kind of went underground for a long time because of as I said the laws. Then there was a certain set of riots that kind of started to bring it up into the forefront and then the Stonewall, right? Stonewall riots yeah. back in uh, 1969 and then it got more mainstream with the whole gender playing of, like, David Bowie and yeah. people on stage. Glam rock and all yeah. that kind of stuff, yeah.
0: And then, in um, fact, that's where RuPaul got his start. He started off as a singer. Yeah. Um, I can't think of the band that he was in, but... In
2: 1984, uh, he was in the B-52's Love Shack. Yep. Which is when RuPaul kind of came into the forefront, and then it went from there. Um... But the difference between, like, then drag and now drag is a lot of the now is over, like, overly over-the-top exaggerated looks. You get the eyebrows that are, like, up to their hairline and all that kind of thing. The big hair, flashy makeup, sparkly gowns. Less traditional feminine, so they don't do all the weight cinching. They over-exaggerate some features. Um, and But they still
0: do a mighty tuck.
2: Yeah, there's... But they just, and there's a lot more political elements, but we aren't getting, in, no, getting into that. No, we are that, not a political
0: so. show, and I just want to remind everybody, we're not a political show. We are talking about this as it pertains to pop culture. Because it
2: does. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, it's it's a big part. So some of the representations that we've kind of seen in drag pop culture, these are not all of them, obviously. These are just some of the ones uh, in Hairspray. Um,
0: the original hairspray
2: the original hairspray divine yeah. was in it and then in the stage performance when it turned into musical it's always been played by a male in drag as far as i'm aware yeah. um then you well,
1: have even in the movie it was john travolta yes. right? yeah
2: yeah because yeah, that's just a tradition at this point yeah and yeah exactly and
0: divine was huge you know um in, in the 80s you, you had divine sort of coming up you had boy george with culture club you know, like they were mixing it all up in, in many ways. John Waters films, they were subversive. They were cheap. They were uh, exploitative. They were the sort it was underground cinema, right? And there was something tantalizing about watching underground cinema and this kind of schlock, if you will. But John Waters films honestly would not have been as good without Divine
2: yeah i haven't seen too many of them i've only really seen hairspray but i know it's like it's a big part of his films it's how divine in them um but then on top of that you have, as we mentioned frankenfurter there's the birdcage which is all about a gay bar um mrs doubtfire uh dame edna yep which i think she came from like the British Panto sort of idea. Uh, yeah, uh, Barry Humphreys is Australian. Okay. And
0: uh, Dame Edna is one of his characters that he had done for ever, uh-huh. but for some reason in the eighties and nineties, Dame Edna really took off, and everybody loved Dame Edna because, they, it, it's kind of it's kind of like this: if you look at the fact that Cassandra Peterson plays Elvira. Now, you know, I know there's uh, probably some people that are cringing that we're talking about drag. What you have to understand is that Elvira is a form of drag, you know, um, Pee Wee Herman is a form of drag when you're creating these characters, you know, like RuPaul said, you know, uh, we're all born naked and the rest is drag, you know, so it's because it's evolved now from just drag queens to drag kings and everything else, like, uh, Cassandra Peterson will straight up tell you that she, what she does as a voter is, is drag. It's a form of drag. And you can see that in the makeup and, and uh, the wigs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So Barry Humphreys has this character of Dame Edna. Barry Humphreys recently passed away, which is sad. Um, but Dame, the, these iterations of Dame Edna were all through Australia. They were in commercials. They were in um, guest spots. Uh, first time I became aware of Dame Edna before... The Dave Edna Experience became this really great show, um, was a cameo in The Howling Three, I think. Oh,
1: my God.
0: Oh, yeah. I I mean, Dave Edna has been around forever, kind of was hoping she would be around forever. But it's that biting kind of savage, unapologetic humor that goes along with drag queens that... Uh, Dame Edna embodied
1: I love Dame Edna I remember watching the show when I was a kid with my parents
0: yeah I mean like she would completely be insulting without being insulting you
1: know I'll be honest with you I will sit here and say that Dame Edna is is partly what made up at least a part of my humor because I was exposed to Dame Edna at a very young age
0: yeah you're known Dame Edna
2: (laughs) I'm not saying I am (laughs) I never saw Dame Edna, uh, but I did grow up with Monty Python, and all that was was a bunch of guys dressed up as old ladies, which I thought was really funny, and that was, like, before I realized what drag really was. But, um, yeah, it's it, it's a huge part of the culture, uh, of just pop culture.
0: Yeah, Little Britain. Little Britain. Little all, Britain. All the time, right? And, like, you, you see this, I mean, it goes back to, um, Milton Berle, um, it goes back to Flip Wilson, you know. They were Flip Wilson's Geraldine, you know. Like these, they were dressing in drag all the time for, uh, for, as part of their comedy shows. I mean, Uncle Milty in drag. Oh, you gotta see this! Yes. Come it, here, come here, bring the kids.
1: It's a a huge part of entertainment and performance.
0: Yeah, but it's also uh, there's a documentary that Laverne Cox has. I can't think of the name of it. But they, they talk about that sort of trans representation and how it feels a little uncomfortable to them because in many ways it was there just to make fun of them, you know, and it's like I don't I, and this is where I always have problems with kind of looking at stop. stuff. No, nope. oh, uh, I always have problems with looking at the past with today's lens because you don't learn anything if you do that, because you have to look at the past and say, this is where we were then, and this is what society was going through at that time. This is where we are now. How far have we come? And where are we going to go from here? You know, so I I always kind of have a little bit of trouble with with that. Um, Especially when it comes to entertainment. Not so much when it comes to other things, but with entertainment, because
2: it was a different time. That's the big um thing with like, for example, Bugs Bunny yeah. in drag. Bugs Bunny would always in the car, co- the cartoons would always go and drag to like trick Elmer Fudd or oh sing the opera jokingly or whatever <laughs> thing. <laughs> just um, the other day, it's
0: funny you mentioned that
2: because just the other
0: day, for no reason, it popped into my head. What's Opera Doc and <laughs> Elmer Fudd just sitting there going. Oh, Boone Hill, die, you're so lovely. <laughs> oh, it's one of the, seriously some of the funniest stuff, you know? Like, whether it was uh, Yosemite Sam or whether it was Elmer Fudd or whatever, you could always count on Bugs Bunny dressing in drag to fuss with someone.
2: <laughs> but that also brings up part of the problem with... um people looking at the drag community without getting too into the political side of things. A lot of people see it as trickery and mockery and which I mean, drag. Yeah. You're over the top being overly feminine or overly masculine with drag Kings. Um, But it, it's still an art form. And for a lot of the drag Queens originally, um, it, it was one of their only ways to actually, show themselves how they were. Like, the transgender people could not dress how they wanted to, so they did drag. Because then they could dress as a female and feel...
0: Usually Halloween would be the first
2: time a drag queen, a fledgling drag queen, would sort of come out. Well, even with the underground clubs. I mean, there was how many trans people and the riots and everything. It's... Let's get back to to talking about
0: it pertaining to pop culture. Yes. Because we're, uh, we're not a history show. No. <laughs> and we're not a political show. So in terms of pop culture, we started off talking about Divine. Uh, probably the biggest performer that became Larger Than Life. 100% Ursula was based on Divine. Was probably, as I understand, Divine was in talks to voice Ursula. Then Divine passed away, so they went... Uh, with uh, Pat Carroll, I believe is the yeah. lady's name, that played Ursula, who did it deliciously. So, there again, Ursula, in a roundabout way, is a drag queen.
2: Yeah, she definitely has a drag style. Like, you can yeah. tell with the the eyebrows and just how she moves and, I don't know, even the subjects of her song with the whole body language joke. Like, that's just... <laughs> <laughs> sums it up. Oh, I love
0: that line. Don't meet the importance of body language but you can hear that growl too because that very much is a style of divine's voice right um we talked about the birdcage you know yeah uh, other than, i'm not going to say too much about the birdcage other than gene hackman makes one fuggly woman
2: i have a bad habit of whenever i hear the we are family i just <laughs> I can't I this birdcage and Hank Azaria and I just I oh, I, I love
0: so makes much. That. Hank
1: Azaria is so good. Yeah
0: the, the actor that was going to play Agador was just, I adored him. He, uh he uh is the fellow that runs uh or manages 100 Kellogg's Lane and he, he is he was spectacular. He was going to be spectacular as Agador. It was just just kind of an amazing performance that uh, all of the people involved were uh, we're going to have... I mean, Luca, I've seen him perform before. But... Yes, he was... He was going to knock
2: it out of the park. Um, More recently on stage, uh, just for example, we have uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yeah. Which I happened to find a version of that and watched it. Um, I thought it was amazing. It was Neil Patrick Harris yeah. based off oh. of a movie.
0: He won the Tony.
2: Um absolutely amazing he does a fabulous job and uh, Hedwig is played by a man in drag Uh, and the I can't remember the character's name but like Hedwig's husband um, that he ends up marrying later on is always played by a woman in drag and she's uh, in the band yeah I'm
0: trying Lena somebody or other I can't think of who her name was she Mm -hmm. also won the Tony for uh, playing that part Go to YouTube and look up uh, Sugar Daddy performance that Neil Patrick Harris does at the Tonys because it's hilarious. Because he goes out in the audience and he messes with Orlando Bloom, he messes with um, Samuel L. Jackson, he messes with Sting and with Kevin Bacon. It's just he almost
2: pulls his husband up on stage like it's yeah.
0: Well, (laughs) the, the great thing about it is he he. He, the improv because he's got this he's got this skirt that's made out of like Christmas lights right and he's he's generating above Orlando Bloom with this thing and he says it's it's I call this the car wash and he's like oh I'm blooming I'm blooming it's hilarious it's just it's, it's some of the funniest stuff out there um and you know Neil Patrick Harris is uh, yeah he's an actor that is out um but also one of those ones that we like him because he's neil patrick harris yeah you know it's it's not even just his performances anymore it's just the fact that he's neil patrick harris and it's so funny when you see somebody like neil patrick harris and you know that he's gay and he he does movies like um harold and kumar go to white yeah. castle where he is hyper masculine you know and it's it's
1: or even Barney in uh, How I Met Your Mother.
0: Oh, gosh, yeah. Some of the funniest lines came from Barney, you know, and How I Met Your Mother. So, yeah, just uh, a, a great thing. And the other um, movie turned into a Broadway musical, Kinky Boots, mm-hmm.
2: based on a true story. I haven't seen Kinky Boots yet. I probably should because I know it's on one of the streaming Kinky site, Boots,
0: but... uh, are you aware of the story? A little bit. Okay, so the story of Kinky Boots, like I said, it's based on a true story is this young man um, basically inherits his father's shoe factory, right? And these shoe factories were fantastic shoes. Everybody bought the shoes. But as society progressed, we progressed out of wearing dress shoes all the time. And he was agonizing about how he's going to keep the shoe factory open and not lay off all these people and so forth and so on, what have you. And he happens to go into light to London, England, and meets a drag queen um, by chance. The drag queen is complaining about those shoes and the boots that they have to wear, hence the name Kinky Boots, because they're not made to size for male feet, you know, and the agony that they have to go through Trying to do these, so they come up with the idea that maybe we can introduce this niche market and make these boots for the drag queens, and of course, hilarity ensues, and friendships form, and conflict happens, and uh, yay, happy ending, <laughs> you know. But and then Kinky Boots has been turned into this Broadway musical, which is kind of universally beloved. So. Yeah, so I kind of don't get a lot of where people are coming from, because like it's not like we haven't been entertained by drag throughout the ages in movies and television and Broadway.
2: Yeah. Well, from my perspective, I think part, like, because I used to watch RuPaul, like, a lot, like the Drag Race uh, shows, I used to watch it a lot. And they always make... The Queens, which is all just editing. But they always make them out to be complete, rude, horrible. Um, okay, they just, I, I'm
0: going ha- to stop there for a minute, though, because it is a reality TV show. There's so much that is not real about a reality TV show. Hence why
2: show. it's they make them out yeah, to because be. Because the thing is, if you didn't do
0: it that way... I don't think anybody would tune in. It would yeah. be very boring. You need the conflict. The queens know that, right? They know that. In any reality show that you're going to set up, you're going to set up your villain. You're going to set up your miscongeniality. Congeniality. You're going to set up all these people because that's all about what it is. It's not like, like the, the Belay brothers, I actually prefer the Belay brothers because what they say is, um, you know, we're not here to judge your drag. Drag is art and art is subjective. We are, however, here to judge it based on this competition, right? So it's, even though the budget's not as high and it is horror-centric, I prefer it, one, because I'm a horror hound, but two, I, I like the makeup that they do so much better because it's not just drag. It's, you know, like they will do... Uh, like say they have a night of witches right so it's like show me your best drag witch and they have drag kings on there and you know so it's just it's kind of spectacular production wise to watch something like that
2: yeah the reality show part aside because that all we know is editing and spun yeah. and all that kind of thing but just the talent that goes into it it shows the different kinds of drag so not just the over the top it shows the the club kid. It shows yeah, the yeah. um special effects because, like, so for like Sharon Needles, for example, would just like go all out crazy. There was all kinds of queens that would just like you know they had to use garbage. They had yeah. to use whatever bits of fabric. They had their outfits that they brought, but their challenges. Right. It shows what goes into making a lot of the costumes. Yeah, and
0: you need somebody like Chad Michaels who does the best share impersonation of anybody hands down
2: yeah you wouldn't see that anywhere else yeah i didn't know that existed you also kind of see the difference between like okay these are the popular queens who've been doing it for years and the older style versus the newer ones like the instagram queens like you have mentioned but also the ones that like they had they have a budget they don't have the money for all these fabulous outfits which i admire because as a cosplayer i see cosplayers that you know they have the massive sergers. They have the funds to get all the crazy yeah. amazing fabrics. And Then I see the ones that are, let's go to the dollar store, and yeah, and everything in between. And so to watch these queens make f- stuff, it's amazing. Yeah, and, it, it
0: becomes really fascinating watching that too because you um, do have the ones that go on this show not knowing how to sew, and it's like you know, like this. The show has been on for like fifteen. Years, oh yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you grow up with this and not know that you're gonna have to have that you're gonna have to sew? Like there's two things that you have to understand. Like you're gonna have to sew, there's gonna be sewing challenges. And you better have a celebrity for the snatch game.
2: Yeah. You know. Which is a whole other aspect of drag is the um imitating celebrities. There's so many drag queens that are amazing at imitating celebrities, and then there's some of them that don't even touch it. Yeah. Which it's perfectly fine. There's hundreds and thousands of different kinds of drag. I'm sure.
0: Yeah, but if you like, if you like Cenk- Monsoon, mm-hmm. you get clever that way, and you take a, a historical character like Little Edie from mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Gray Gardens, and that that's all American history with the um, with uh, the Kennedys and everything else. You can look it up. We're not here to educate you on history, uh, but you can basically take. A historical character like that and do whatever you want with them because, you know, as like RuPaul say, as long as you're funny. Yep. As long as you're funny.
2: And that is one of the staples of drag. Even if you're doing like a proper, you look completely feminine, you still have to be funny. You still have to be a comedian. You have to do something. Or have really really amazing dance moves, yeah, like, and it, then just don't do comedy well, so like Chad,
0: Chad Michael's share is bar none, like the best thing you'd ever see. Mm-hmm. You see um, Juju B, Eartha Kit, like oh my yep. goodness, like they embodied. And There was uh, I can't remember the the queen's name, but they did a fantastic Liza Minnelli,
2: you know. Yes. And, oh
0: yeah. And it's it's so fascinating, kind of watching this because they don't always do. A female celebrity one of them did Little Richard in Mm -hmm. um, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race UK (laughs) the 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 winners it's the only time I'd ever seen this an episode like this where they had two winners of that of that particular challenge because one did Margaret (laughs) Margaret Thatcher and the other one did Donald Trump (laughs) and it was his I see Nick's grimace. It was hysterical. It was the funniest thing you would ever see, especially when this guy's doing like his Trump imitation, and he nailed it. You know, like even the way that he speaks, I'm just like... And to have somebody be able to... What do they always call it? Take the... Um, there's a term I can't think of what it is, but you know, they just they just take them down a
1: peg, you know what I mean? Well, take the Mickey? What? Take the Mickey. Is that R- what it is? R- rip
0: them apart. I don't know. I've uh, <laughs> you've said it, but it's not take the Mickey, I know that. But uh anyway, it's just to, to see these people be able to imitate these people really makes them makes us understand that no matter who you are, whether you're a politician, whether you're royalty, whether mm. you're uh, a
2: celebrity, you are not untouchable. Yep. It, yeah, it's, and it, and the end of the day, it comes down to it doesn't matter if you like what drag queens do, or don't like what they do, or don't want to go see them, or follow your favorite drag queen. There's so much talent that goes into that aspect. It's incredible. But you have seen
0: drag performances and loved them. And that's where I get confused by the animosity because Tootsie, Dustin Hoffman mm-hmm. as Tootsie, hysterical movie, Jessica Wang. it's Gina Davis, like it's, it's a great cast. And Dustin Hoffman plays this actor who can't get work. And so he gets the idea to dress up in drag as a female, auditions for this part on a soap opera, gets the part, the character becomes wildly popular. Now he's stuck in this position because he's falling in love with the Jessica Lange character. and But he's giving off this persona as a woman. Here's all the conflict. Her father is falling in love with him. It becomes very farcical. Um, and it's really one of the better movies ever made one of the funnier movies ever made and you see this character played by Dustin Hoffman start to understand what women go through you know and all of the challenges that they meet in the industry and he's thinking that his problems and challenges are forefront and so you you see that kind of awakening within him and then you you follow that up uh, more than a decade later with Robin Williams and Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, I think Mrs. Doubtfire is one of those iconic roles, both alien and galian, that people just love. And because it's Robin Williams and it's hysterical. And we know that a lot of those lines, Robin Williams improv.
2: Yeah. And just the reason why he dressed up in drag and went through all the makeup and all the steps was to get close to his kids again. Yeah. And, 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 and
0: there's a, a much finer point to that too, because um, at the end of it, when it's discovered that he is actually Mrs. Doubtfire, they, they start to question his mental health. Right. Mm-hmm. And so do we not always do that with people that are in these communities who question their mental health?
1: Mm-hmm. With Mrs. Doubtfire, like first and foremost, I love Robin Williams. I don't think I've seen anything that Robin Williams has done that I don't Absolutely love, but I remember being a kid watching this and thinking it was between between Robin Williams and Harvey scene one of the funniest movies I had ever seen at the time. Um, Robin Williams is an amazing impressionist, and it's not just Mrs. Doubtfire. Like if you listen to some of the stuff that he's done through the years, he he's done other woman impressions. And that really adds to his performance as well because he has that experience.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the funniest lines in that whole thing, too, is between him
1: and Fire Far- where he comes in and says, I want you to make me a woman.
0: Oh, honey, I'm so happy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, the, the one the one that will always stick in my mind, the one line, just one word is, Hello! Just... Oh, when he's... Um, when with he, the pie? When, when yeah, he's got the pie in his face. He's
0: looking for something to hide and then, like because you know that he improved that because like the that whole blob of whipped cream just falls into it's like oh there's one number two <laughs> you know he's completely improv how any actor or actress did not sit there opposite Robin Williams and crack up every se- like how many takes I listen if I had ever made it big I would never have wanted to act with Robin Williams because I just would have been unless it was like a serious drama where he's not going to improv you know like um, oh, I'm sure he's still improv in some. Yeah, of those. but I mean, he wasn't being hysterical. Like I, I, I would have had to show up on the set every day wearing the pants, like just, especially like mm-hmm. Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, that whole thing, and I've seen people imitate it too. It's just become in the zeitgeist. It's become in lore. It's become legend, where they imitate that whole idea. It's like I'm a hip hop granny with you know, and and uh, talking about all yeah. that, and they 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 troll radio stations, and they troll people that are looking for jobs, and they they don't get that it's they're doing Mrs. Doubtfire, right? And it's just... I think it's one of the top-notch performances. Um, Another great performance, um, (laughs) also a fugly woman, uh, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. You have Terrence Stamp, General Zod himself, playing a drag queen.
1: A lady girl. Strangely enough, not the, the weirdest thing I've seen them wear.
0: <laughs> but I mean, like you just sit there and you, you watch Hugo Weaving, Guy Pierce, Terrence Stamp. Uh, three drag queens trying to overcome their troubles in the past, and this adventure going out into the outback of Australia where their bus, which they have dubbed Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, breaks down on them. And all the goals and all of the things that they are trying to obtain and the worries and the, but I mean, it has one of the best soundtracks also been turned into a Broadway musical won an Oscar for best costumes deservedly. So because you sit there and you watch this, I don't care if you like drag or not. It's fascinating watching the fact that the costumer made a dress out of flip-flops out of, Thong sandals. That is a thing that happens. And it's amazing when they're doing their routine and they turn into the Sydney Opera House.
1: You know? Oh, my God. Yes. No, okay. So I I have seen that movie, but it has been... I, I saw it when I was a teenager. Yeah. And one, seeing that movie and then watching Lord of the Rings and then going back and realizing that it's Elrond is a trip. But yeah, I remember that scene where with the yeah, no, that is an amazing
2: scene.
0: Yeah, I you know I just love that scene too where um because the guy Pierce character is just very very annoying in many ways. Just wants to take oh I know what the take the pee out of uh yeah. 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 Just wants to, to take the pee out of Stamp's character. And Terrence Stamp is like having none of it. They've had a few uh bit too much to drink. Hugo Weaving's character passes out, and he just slaps the taste right out of Pierce's mouth. And it's a funny it's it's a darkly funny scene because you have this the one uh you have this trans character, because actually the you know that's um um uh, uh, General Zod's character, that's yeah. Terrence Stamp's character, is actually uh, uh, is actually uh, trans woman Be- beating up on this drag queen. It's it's funny. I mean, like some of my favorite scenes is like when um, uh, Guy Pierce gets in trouble. Like it's you're in the Australian outback. The uh, it's the 90s. You know they aren't taken too kindly to. This sort of thing. You better lay low. You better, you know, like your choices are, you can stay in the hotel room or you can come and have supper with us. Guy Pierce doesn't want to do that. Finds a pauper, gets high, decides he's going to go out in the town and drag. Not a good idea. Gets into trouble. And there's that whole scene where it's like, Oh, what do we got here? Oh, Bernice. Well, Bernice shows you that Bernice can throw down, <laughs> you know, and the line is iconic. Can't say it here. Because we like to keep it family friendly, but yeah, it's just it's it's really great, and you know, also getting into uh, Tuan Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. I mean, longest title ever, but you know, like these are actors that that you love, Nick.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know? um, it, it it is interesting with the way a lot of these characters are portrayed, like especially in Bird Cage. Bird Cage is just. Very. This is normal life for them. Mm-hmm. It's they, they they don't just run a gay bar. They run a um a drag theater review. Yeah,
0: right on the and, main strip.
1: Um, yeah. I've
0: been there actually.
1: And Robin Robin Williams is amazing in that because it's not just like it's a funny role for him, but they're. There is a certain level of seriousness, but with him because this is his business, this is his livelihood, and he treats it with that kind of gravitas. Not they,
2: just his business; that's his life, yeah. and his son is asking him to change everything.
0: Yeah, because that's that's the whole conflict, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's like the conflict is it's like I am marrying this girl. Her father is a a senator running for re-election. They're conservative.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We are not conservative. For one night, can we just, you know, pretend to be a little bit more conservative? He wants his actual mother to come in and be the mother, played by Christine Baranski, which sets up the whole Nathan Lane character of being hurt because, you know, he was his mother. Mm-hmm. And But what's wonderful about that movie, besides the whole idea that there are different families, is one, it's based on a French film called La Cage a Fall, which was also turned into a Broadway musical, which the birdcage is based on. Uh, And it's the first time I'd ever seen two actors, Hank Azaria, Nathan Lane, who could sit there and go, okay, Williams, let's (laughs) rock. Let's go. Because they can stand up to of Robin Williams' performance and all the improv and mm-hmm. everything that goes along with it because like when you I, I think that's actually how I got cast in the part because I think I nailed the uh this the scene where um Robin Williams is trying to teach Nathan Wayne how to be masculine. That's <laughs> and, so I, and I, I think what got me the part was the the way I, I delivered I pierced the toes
1: <laughs> and before we go we just want to remind everybody that Forest City Comic Con is coming up fast. Join us at Centennial Hall in London, Ontario on June 24th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Our panel is running at 1.30 p.m. and we'll be including a Q&A session. Check out our social medias for more details and where you can send in any questions. So that is, uh, you can search for us on Facebook by searching for Area 51 and a half You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the Area 51 H. And of course, check out our YouTube channel.
0: Thank you for joining us on our landing pad aliens and galeens. For Ren and Nick and Spook Hinkle John, we are signing off from Area 51 and a half.